The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, good afternoon. Welcome to the last of this series of the Eightfold Path program for this year. September seems like a long time ago. It's a whole school year has passed. And <laughs> so, of course, we still have one more event, which is our day-long retreat here on June 17th, where we'll formally review and wrap up our year of study. So we began back in September looking at right view, which is the perspective that underpins this whole path, that we should really pay attention to this question of what is the deal with human unhappiness and stress and suffering, and that we should look at inside at our relationship with what's happening to try to understand that better. And we'll see that our understanding is based on some fundamental misunderstandings about things, that it's possible somehow to hang on to what's events in the world and solidify them and get them to go our way and hold still and be the way we'd like it to be and, you know, that there's some permanent inner little me standing back behind all of experience who ought to be able to manipulate it somehow and when we don't understand that that's not true then all this clinging and grasping is a cause of stress that is uh, greatly in fact according to the Buddha totally relievable by this path of practice so then we orient we reorient our intentions in ways that don't cause suffering intentions to be kind intentions to be harmless intentions to be generous and uh And then we start to see what is it like, what are we doing currently in our speech and our actions and the way we live our lives and how does this intentionality play out and how are we suffering in those ways and what happens if we shift a little bit in the direction of these wise intentions. And we start to see that, yeah, there's something to this and then we start to see, wow, there's a lot of habit energy in the mind, there's a lot of of stress and tension in the body and... Hopefully out of that we're inspired to take up an inner contemplative meditation practice. And then the last three factors are about cultivating the mind. Right effort of learning to really discern for ourselves what is wholesome and developing a greater sensitivity to this sense of healthy and holistic aiming toward well-being and not suffering and what is actually suffering even though we might think it leads to some short-term pleasure it's actually on the whole addictive and leads to more suffering or even if we think it's a little too difficult if we apply a little wise effort we see that it pays off and like establishing a regular meditation practice takes a little bit of effort and then there's this amazing factor of mindfulness which is the heart of the tradition the way we teach it here and it's been applicable all along which is this incredibly mysterious and wonderful faculty of awareness that we can actually bring to bear on what's happening and we can open up and notice and open up our and sharpen and clarify our ability to pay attention and see what's going on and then as we do that more and more skillfully the mind settles down and 
these sources of inner joy and happiness and contentment begin to come into the fore. And that's the subject of the final piece of the Eightfold Path, which is called Wise Right Concentration. I'm sure Liz will say this, but I'll say it again first. I don't like the word concentration. <laughs> it implies this kind of... And, you know, there's something, sometimes strong effort is needed, but we'll talk a lot about what's a good word and what is the real way to understand what this, this settling, unifying, collecting the mind and not being so pulled all over the place, what that's really about and ways to cultivate that. And then the Eightfold Path is the way to prepare the way for deep, freeing insight that then makes right view really come alive and be not just a sort of a theory that we're working on trying out, but it really transforms deeply our understanding of things so that we then just naturally act according to the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path becomes more of a description of how we live once we've really um, overhauled our view through this way of being able to see deeply. So today our topic is right concentration and Liz will guide us in a sit. So just allowing yourself to find a comfortable, relaxed posture, but, you know, also balancing that factor of alertness with relaxation. And as we start, just take stock of how your mind is right now and how your body is right now, how your emotions are. Just allow space for that. Notice it. Give it some room. What preceded these moments sometimes is felt, and we're still playing it out. It's still being felt in the body, the emotions, and the mind, the thinking. And by recognizing and accepting that it's there, it allows us to begin to enter a deeper relaxation. And if there are any obvious places of tension or activity that can be softened or relaxed, taking your time to allow that to happen. Not forcing or pushing anything around, but just allowing the gradual release from however you came in into a period of relaxation. 
recognition. If it's helpful to you to scan the body, um, noticing starting at the top, any extra tension or tightness in the head, around the eyes, the cheeks, maybe the jaw, and just allowing that to gradually soften. Letting go of anything that can be relaxed. And if it cannot be, just allowing it to be exactly as it is. Perhaps softening around it. Allowing the shoulders to settle perhaps lower as the tension in the back and chest is released or softened. Perhaps using the breath to help yourself let go of some of the tension on the exhale. Softening the belly and the viscera, just letting them hang. Letting your hips and buttocks and legs relax into gravity. Letting your feet be received by the earth or the cushion or the floor.
as you allow and possibly soften anything in the mind and body and heart. Allowing that to, when you're ready, become attention onto whatever object of meditation you have. Relaxing into awareness of the breath, for example. Letting your attention rest easily in the breath. Not forcing anything. perhaps giving it the kind of very gentle attention you would give a newborn. Or allowing that very still place that would happen if you were a few feet away from a very rare and beautiful bird and you didn't want to startle it. Just allowing your body to be relaxed and still as you follow the breath just as it is. If the mind is distracted by anything, gently allowing that, and then very kindly 
bringing the attention gently back to the object of your meditation. Even if you have to do this over and over again, having a relaxed sense of just allowing yourself to bring it gently back. If anything extra is here besides your attention to your breath or object of meditation, letting yourself notice it. If there's sleepiness or there's any aversion, any feelings of wanting things to be different than they are or to continue exactly the way they are. Any sense of restlessness, any doubt, just allow yourself to notice those meet them where they are. And on the other hand, if awareness and attention are continuous and keep attending to the breath, appreciating that, enjoying the steadiness of the attention or just the process of Noticing what's there and bringing the attention back. Letting yourself feel any good sensations in the body and heart that are arising. Appreciating them. Simply enjoying the gift of awareness, whatever it's aware of.
if there are any good feelings. Feelings of well-being or feelings of any area of your body that's relaxed or peaceful. Allowing yourself to enjoy those areas. Enjoy that sense of well-being. Simply enjoying awareness itself and whatever it's showing you moment after moment. Resting in that awareness. So maybe just taking a moment to take stock again and see um, from where you were when you first sat down and where you are now, just noticing any shift that occurred or anything that you became aware of. That's the beginnings of concentration, which as Chris said is such a heavy word. Um, I liked the way she said, you know, there's a way in which it's really just uh, being present with what's going on in a full way or relaxing into a focused awareness. It, uh, it's not always so hard driving as, as we've come to understand the word concentration in this society anyway. Um, and when you hang around meditation circles long enough, pretty soon you hear people talking about concentration states or jhana states or samadhi. All these words come up. 
So we'll start with some definitions of what those are. So um, Richard Shankman gives this definition of samadhi, which is the word that's often used. I think Bhikkhu Bodhi in um, the Noble Eightfold Path book that you have refers to right concentration as sama samadhi. So typically translated as concentration, samadhi is the quality of mind that's calm and settled without distraction. So maybe instead of the word concentration, we could think of a calm, collected mind without distraction, a unified mind. Um, Now, we're talking particularly about the kind of calm, settled mind, unified mind that we develop in meditation practice. Because we can be focused on a video game or a television show or practicing the piano and not be on the path of this particular type of concentration. Um, So it's a particular type that we experience in meditation uh, that is collect the mind unifying with itself. Um, I, I also threw out the word jhana, and so Richard Jankman again gives the, a definition saying it's one, the state of meditative absorption, or two, just meditation. So one of the problems that can come up and when you start hearing about these states of concentration, states of jhana, is that you can start comparing yourself to other people's practice and thinking, well, I got to get that or I must not be doing this right or, you know, why am I not experiencing? And I'm going to, one of the purposes of my talk is to invite you to drop all of that. Just forget it. It's not useful. Um, And just continue to be with what is happening in your experience, in your meditation practice. So uh, Richard wrote this book called um, The Experience of Samadhi. And he suggests that rather than allowing ourselves to get confused in all this welter of descriptions that you'll hear from Dharma teachers, from what you read, from different students, is that we could simply appreciate the diversity of approaches and wide assortment of skillful means that are available to us. When I've talked to different Dharma buddies about what they experience with concentration, people have different descriptions of what goes on. So it really is, um, and, and Richard says, among those advocating jhana, there is no consensus on what the jhanas are or how to go about attaining them. So I like that a lot. <laughs> that helps kind of relax the whole thing. So I want to share a few things with you today. Starting in my early meditation practice as I started hearing these terms and getting guided meditations that were designed to help uh, me get into concentration or help us get into concentration, I noticed that there were various states that I got into um, that were actually unhelpful or delusional. Um, That, you know, I... I could be thinking that I was concentrating, but there are all these little tributaries you can go down that happen. So one of the things I learned from that is to not try to achieve any kind of special state in meditation, including whatever you construe concentration to be. Um, The path uh, towards freedom, as I understand it, is not to be found in some kind of rarefied special state. So I'll give you an example. I went on a retreat up at Spirit Rock 
early in my practice and I walked out of the last sitting at night. There was a beautiful full moon and I was aware that I was kind of floating several, whatever I is, it was floating several inches above and to the left of my body, my sense of me. And I thought, wow, this is it. Wow, I've finally gotten to this thing, whatever it is. Um, but it never repeated itself and somebody later commented to me, oh yeah, you were dissociated. That's not a good thing. <laughs> so, you know, I, it was interesting because it felt, it really felt kind of interesting and kind of good, but it really wasn't concentration. So trying to achieve any kind of special state with your meditation is kind of a dead end in practice, I think. Um, Another thing I learned along the way is that concentration or this settled, unified state of mind also contains mindfulness. So I went on another retreat, a very long retreat at um, IMS. And I, after a long time, a few weeks, I became aware of this very low, very deep sound. At first I was like, what is that? Is that, you know, the heating system or... No, it wasn't in the building, and I found it was, in, it was internal. And it became incredibly fascinating. I spent day after day just completely absorbed in this sound until I realized, oh, there is no mindfulness here at all. I'm just lost in this sound. And I talked to one of my interview teachers about it. I said, you know, I'm, I'm hearing this thing and I'm thinking I shouldn't stay there because I'm not really mindful. And sure enough, she said, yep, that's right. <laughs> Don't stay there. So I realized that, you know, I still didn't have strong enough mindfulness at that point to allow myself to go with that sound. So um, that was another experience. It's kind of like, okay, there are these things that can be dead ends. And... Over the years, I've learned that over-efforting definitely does not help. So I've sat here and become somewhat concentrated up here, you know, sitting in this room, and then kind of bared down on it so much that I started to faint, actually started to black out and had to put my head down and kind of come revive myself. And at first I thought, wow, I'm just really getting into something like a perception of space or someone. No. What was happening was even though my body externally was relaxed, there was this subtle internal squeezing of my viscera that was going on that made me faint. So I just want to caution against that kind of efforting really hard to get focused. It So by contrast, at other times I've sat here on a Sunday morning, just being present with each moment, you know, keeping my attention on each moment, whatever's there, and then recognized at the end of the sitting when I stood up, wow, there is a lot of concentration here. Um, I wasn't trying for it. Um, So through that method sometimes, and also through a method of, you know, I, I attended Richard Shankman's classes in the East Bay on samadhi, and that was much more uh, focused on one thing, like staying with the breath in a certain way, and came to some places of some very deeply unshakable calm, the kind that you don't want to get up from meditation, you don't want to move, you don't want to do anything. 
So those are actually two different ways that concentration can start to come about. One is just by paying attention to whatever's coming up moment by moment, not worrying about concentration, but just being present. And that kind um, is actually called in the Pali language, vipassana bhavana. So it's the development of serenity through just being with whatever is present moment by moment and the change of what's present. The second way, when I went to Richard's classes where we were focused just in a particular way on the breath, is a kind of systematic practice um, that people sometimes call one-pointed. And it's called shamatha bhavana in Pali. So how do we go about cultivating this unified, settled mind? Um, First of all, it starts before you ever sit down. Off the cushion, there are some things that will help you develop that settled mind on the cushion. So one of them is clean living, what I call clean living. Basically, you've been doing it this year as you've practiced the moral development factors of right speech, right action, and right livelihood. And maybe you noticed as you worked with those that when you start to improve your relationships through right speech or right action or right livelihood, you have a lot less to worry about so that when you sit down to meditate, you're freer. You know, there aren't things encumbering your mind. Simplifying and settling your daily life also helps. Maybe you've noticed this. I certainly have, that if I'm if I have a day just absolutely full of work and tasks and I come here to sit down, the first thing my mind is doing is it is still very busy with all those tasks. And I've come to recognize and respect that. That is just what happens to the mind when we do all of this stuff. And it takes time for that to settle down. Nothing wrong with it, by the way. We can take space in meditation to recognize that and just give it the space to, you know, almost like the dirt uh, shaken up in the pond, give it time to settle down. Um, But if I allow myself time off the cushion to think about work, you know, plan any tasks, do any of that work off the cushion, then when I come to the cushion, it's much easier to become settled and focused. So um, it's almost like the mind needs a certain number of mental cycles over specific things. Um, So, and of course, I think it is much easier to become focused or concentrated or settled on retreat when you've deliberately set aside your daily cares and, you know, that you've got this protected space and distractions aren't present. But you might take a moment right now and just reflect on what distractions or complexities in your daily life right now might be unnecessary, might just be cluttering your mind. Um, last year I, I noticed what was cluttering my mind was I was way too fond of British murder mysteries. And when I went on retreat, it was embarrassing how often I was thinking about British murder mysteries. Uh, Then, you know, I spent time, and there's nothing wrong with British murder mysteries, right? It's just that it is true that what you frequently think about becomes the inclination of your mind. So last summer, for some reason, I got interested in listening to uh, some compilation CDs of Frank Sinatra. 
And then I went on Gil's two-week retreat in the fall, and it was like, Frank, stop singing. (laughs) It just, it kept running through my head. So it's true that what we frequently think about or preoccupy ourselves with becomes the inclination of our minds, and maybe you'll notice that when you sit down. And some of that is all great and fine. Frank Sinatra, you know, I enjoyed it. But maybe it's, you know, what can we simplify? What can we let go of? Actually, after a while, I started to realize I could let go of British murder mysteries. They kind of, after a while, you know, it's just occupying mental space, and I kind of got the drift of it. I didn't need any more. Another thing you might consider doing, if you're inclined to over-effort or work too hard, you might consider not worrying about achieving concentration. Let it go. And just don't make it another project, another attainment, another notch you have to get on your belt. Let it go. And it could be that it's just the fruit of steady, devoted meditation practice. Because as I suggested to you, sometimes it's just come about when I wasn't even expecting it. And I think this is what Gil has referred to, which many of you have probably heard If you want to get from A to B, the best way is to be fully at A. Just be fully with your meditation practice. And concentration actually develops with patience and time. In fact, uh, you know, if we, many of us who've been practicing for a while can tell you, it really takes a lot of patience and a lot of time. You can't always count on it. So the longer I've practiced, the more important it seems that a relaxed body helps settle the mind. Um, So this deserves some attention and some practice. The body has a really interesting way of mirroring the mind. It sometimes expresses things your mind isn't conscious of. So have any of you ever noticed that there's a particular place in your body that you hold the tensions of the day? So for some people, it's the lower back. For a while, I noticed it was between my shoulder blades. There were like knots by the end of the day. Some people, it's if, they, if you feel that tightness around your eyes when you sit down, you notice that your eyes are just looking all day, really, really looking. So um, by finding skillful ways of going to that first satipatthana, that first foundation of mindfulness, and being with the body as it is, that leads to the relaxation that I'm talking about. Things like that you start the meditation session with pain, restlessness, exhaustion, the, and even strong emotion are basically body experiences as well. And so by practicing that first foundation of mindfulness, you will find the way to work through your mind and body. And that relaxation may predispose you more to the kind of settled mind that's being spoken about. So um, one teacher that I had at IMS gave a Dharma talk that I'll never forget, in which she referred to her body as a hunk of meat. (laughs) And she spoke about being with the unpleasant states of the body as requiring infinite patience. So sometimes when I've struggled, I have heard her voice in my mind saying, infinite patience. And it's been helpful. Uh, One thing, one key that really seems to help settle the mind and help us 
into these concentrated places is continuity of practice, meaning the more frequently you come back to mindfulness throughout the day, throughout a meditation sitting, come back, keep coming back, keep coming back, it actually can be kind of a a fun hobby during the day. I have weird hobbies. But one of them is to just keep coming back as often as I can to mindfulness. And that helps relax you, settle your mind. Another interesting thing, in Bhikkhu Bodhi's little book, he mentions 40 places of work through which people actually achieve concentration. It's a pretty interesting list to read. And I'm only referring to a couple today that that are really common here at IMC. But one of them is formal practice with the divine abodes. So metta practice, loving kindness practice, um, very early in my reti- retreat experiences, I found that I became very concentrated. wasn't trying to do it, but it was really because I was doing a week-long meta retreat, and I was practicing, really sincerely practicing the phrases and the intentions as moment after moment, day after day, week after week. Um, so that kind of practice loving-kindness practice is actually a gateway. It's a concentration practice in itself. So is compassion practice. Practice with sympathetic joy. and um, Practice with equanimity. There are formal practices where you say certain phrases or radiate it from your body in all directions. And that is a kind of concentration practice. Good news, you're already doing one of the practices that is a formal concentration practice, and that is mindfulness of breathing. That's one of the classic key methods. I think some of you last year um, attended Gil's Anapanasati um, series, and that's, you know, there's a whole series of talks online that really paying attention to the breath in deeper and deeper or, you know, more nuanced ways is so helpful. There are stages of concentration that are part of this. So I've talked about some of the before you even sit down on the cushion. And then once you sit down on the cushion, preliminary concentration, for example, you're focused on the breath and you simply work to to keep bringing it back to keep it there. If your mind strays, you just catch it and bring it back. So preliminary concentration. Next, as the mind starts to settle in and and be pretty steadily on the breath, um, hindrances can arise. And uh, I believe Chris is going to talk about those in more detail because that's a, a lot of what we can experience on the cushion. Once the mind is cleared of those and focused on the breath, there are five factors of absorption that come into play. So the first is application of mind, which is called vitaka in Pali. So the mind is directed to the object, which in this case is the breath in, in this example I'm giving you. Once that's accomplished, sustained application of mind, which is called vichara, anchors the mind on the object and keeps it there. So maybe you've noticed if you've done the work to keep bringing your mind back, bringing your mind br- back, bringing your mind back, after a while it stays. So that's vichara. And um, Bhikkhu Bodhi gives a really great analogy in his book that vitaka, that application of mind is like uh, ringing the bell, like the striking of the bell. 
And vichara is like the reverberations of the bell as it continues. Um, what can emerge next is called rapture or piti in Pali. What's interesting is that's often called joy or rapture, which sounds really cool, right? It can also just be an intense surge of energy. So for some of us, uh, I've experienced it very frequently, is not so pleasant. It's just like this huge surge of energy. But different people, different ways. Some people experience joy. They experience what, they might experience a experience of being wrapped, like just being absorbed, like I was in, with that sound that I heard deep in my body. Had I had mindfulness, that might have been an experience of rapture because I was just so engrossed in it. Then what tends to happen is a stage called happiness, which is referring, um, it's called uh, sukha in Pali. And what is meant here is that specifically pleasant feeling of the mind settling down and staying there. And finally, um, oh, Bhikkhu Bodhi also has you know, some contrast for you between rapture and happiness. Rapture being if you had been thirsting to death in the desert and you finally spotted a watering hole, you know, your heart would leap. That's rapture. Uh, happiness would be finally sitting next to the oasis and slaking your thirst, just drinking and relaxing and finally feeling okay. Then what can emerge as this fifth factor is um, where the mind feels completely unified on the object. And that's ekagata in Pali. So along the way you can kind of hear, it is good to pay attention to the helpful states that emerge. If there's a good feeling of well-being in your body, if there's some feeling of joy, or even some release of energy, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, noticing any sense of calm, any sense of, oh, when I first sat down, my mind was all over the map, and now it's more settled. Maybe it's not even perfectly settled, but it's more settled. Appreciating those things helps this process along. So this process of being fully at A and allowing this practice to unfold by bringing your mind back to the object, bringing it back, bringing it back, being fully with it, the changing flow of experience or the one-pointed kind of attention on breath can help this process of developing this unified, settled mind. It can happen either of those ways. And it's really more a subtle process of staying with your practice rather than trying to force anything. So if you can be patient and allow this to be the gradual practice that can take, you know, maybe some of you are quick studies, but for most of us, it's a lifetime engagement. And over that period of time, we can feel ourselves becoming more settled. That's a good thing. We're on the road. Um, So you certainly can avail yourself of the wealth of local Dharma teachers, who uh, can guide us in this, Gil being one of them, Richard Shankman being another. There are many people who are very skilled with this. And just allowing your own practice to develop 
and being kind to yourself instead of getting hung up on any of the theories about it would be what I would recommend. So, thank you. And what we're going to do next is just uh, give you one of those uh, breakout session times to integrate a little bit of what you've just uh, experienced and heard. So if you could find your way to groups of four, maybe if there's people you haven't had a chance to work with yet, by now maybe you've worked with everybody, but find your group of four and settle somewhere in the room and then I'll share the question. And there's actually, an, uh, there may be a fifth person in some groups, in two groups, that's fine. Or maybe groups of three, that's fine, you're good. So um, your questions are, and you know maybe what you can do is just allow yourself time to go around one by one, and it, with the way we've done this practice this year, each person just shares one little piece, not your whole life biography about this, but just one piece, then go to the next person, then the next, and keep making rounds, because sometimes somebody else will inspire, oh yeah, and there's that. So allow yourself to... Um, Go around with these two questions. What is your relationship to happiness or joy? And how do you notice when it's present when you're sitting? So again, what is your relationship to happiness and joy or joy? And how do you notice when it's present when you're sitting? Yeah, just, you know, allow yourself to go with either or whichever lens can get you there and um, we'll have a good 15 minutes to go around and around with this and I'll ring the bell when we're done actually maybe 12 minutes I'll ring the bell in 12 minutes just keep going around one point at a time one sharing at a time and you know maybe maybe you start with what is your relationship to happiness and joy for some people those are easy or good or pleasant or they come easily and for other people it's like no that's hard I was told not to that's self selfish you know whatever comes up for you and uh, so spend some time with that and then spend some time with how you notice whether happiness or joy are present when you're sitting And giving yourself a minute to thank your group and then coming back to the big circle. Opens a new door. Um, I just want to say it was... Yeah. Is this on? Okay. Um, it was really nice just to talk about joy with, with two other people and that evoked the joy in me also just to be talking about joy. It's, it kind of amplifies. It's really nice. Great. So... That's, you know, that's a good example of how recognizing a positive state can actually, you know, help you enter that positive state more fully.
in our group, a couple of times we said, we're just beginning to call it happiness or joy. You know, we gave examples, but we didn't call it that before in our, in our own mind or in our consciousness. And that was helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had a lot, a lot of trouble with the word happiness for a long time. The word contentment made a lot of sense to me. But the word happiness was just too big. <laughs> so we were... Am I on? You are. Okay. So we were kind of unanimous in uh, as far as where we first noticed joy in the body, which is just at the top of the diaphragm. Which is also where you notice contraction and anxiety and everything else, but it just seems that the first indicators are little lightness in that area. Beautiful. Could you pass the mic forward? Oh, yeah. yeah, thanks. Just love the focus on uh, focus of attention in a way that I haven't done before, which is to look. Like you know, first you go. <laughs> I'm a bird watcher. First, you have to know what the bird looks like. Right? Then, then you, you know, in a way, you learn that way. So, I really appreciated that um, um, because of this conversation. Now, I'm, I'm going to sit differently, and I think be able to notice something because they have a name for it. And I agree that happiness, contentment came up in our group as another phrase for that. Also, something about how happiness could feel dangerous or could feel a little maybe challenging to connect to. So it was a very useful discussion. Thank you. Yeah. It's so important to be able to recognize the full range of what's going on and that there are other things, you know, either things that are unnamed in there or even sometimes prohibitions against feeling something big like happiness and just being with, with all of the range of what's going on. The energy in the room certainly felt like it rose. Um, I, what was remarkable to me was just that how rare an opportunity it is to talk specifically about happiness with others. <laughs> uh, so that was like, wow, this is this is this is pretty interesting, and also to. Um, to understand how other people see it, it's like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that that particular constellation of experiences was perceived as happiness by someone. That's a new way I can look at that. Or I never thought about happiness coming from that part of the body or inside or outside. So it kind of gave me a sense, actually, of uh, insight into why sangha is important yeah. as opposed to just simple individual study or individual meditation. It was just felt very valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's really a good point that it's really by hearing the range of people's experience sometimes that we open into new territory. Also, I appreciate your point that um you know, there we rarely talk about it and it's so interesting. I've heard that one idea is that because maybe because our predecessors and our ancestors were very good at noticing threat, 
like noticing anything that would threaten shelter, food, or the ability to live, we became really problem-focused. So, so much of the time, our minds go to problem, problem, problem. So neurobiologists, you know, like Rick Hansen, recommend actually landing on pleasant or positive states when they occur and actually taking, he says, take three seconds. That's a remarkably long time for our little problem-focused brains. But if you do that in your practice and also multiple times a day, just land on any little pleasant or or supportive thing, it is another way to counterbalance this heavy weight in the direction of problems and struggles. Something just occurred to me. I've got two mics. (laughs) Two mics in one. Um, Came from Gil recently. Uh, Another word that you might try on is gladness. And it came in the in the in the fact of just being glad to have a path and glad to have some teaching that makes sense and glad to have a way to look at things in life. And that just was so. um, That brought up a lot of joy for me. Just starting with that word gladness as a way to start on this path of letting that quality in. Yep, I don't think you guys would be here or would have shown up month after month if there weren't something positive going on for you. <laughs> and it is, you know, it is, it is really, in, if you're one of these hard-working types, you can lose sight of that in your practice. You can be like, okay, you know, another sitting and... <sighs> but if you relax into that gladness, like... Yeah, I'm gl- I am glad I have this practice. It is helping. Even when it's at its most chaotic, it is helping. So let's take a break now um, and come back in about 10 minutes. <laughs>